Good night. Welcome to the Catherine Zox Show. This informative and entertaining show will start your mornings off on the right foot. Here's your host, Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone. Good morning. I'm Catherine Zox. I'm your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to World Talk Radio, VoiceAmericaVariety.com. We have lots to talk about this morning. I have three guests to talk to, very different kinds of subjects. The first thing you're going to learn about is losing weight through social networking. Uh, next guest is we're going to, and we all need this right now, I think, learn how to restore our hope, vision, and optimism amongst the chaos that's happening in this world right now. And last, we are going to be exploring the world of depression, suicide, and triumph with New York Times bestselling author Linda Gray Sexton. But first, my first guest is here, Chris Geffen, or Get Thin, as I call him. Uh, his new book is Body by Design, and he's editor-in-chief of Bodybuilding.com. You can go to Bodybuilding.com to learn more about Chris. Uh, Chris is a, uh, he is, well, this book that he's written is a 12-week exercise and diet plan, provides surefire success strategies, and he has four pillars of power. He's going to tell us how to do this. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on, Chris. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Okay. Did I say you are editor-in-chief of Bodybuilding.com? And also, by the way, I'm going to a photo of you a before and after, like when you were fat and then you're thin. It's amazing. Yeah, that's right. That was me. Oh, my God. Anyway, so tell us. Okay, so what's different about Body by Design? I mean, you call it a losing weight through social networking, which, of course, I'm wondering, how do you do that? Okay, like the, the basis of the book, of course, is a training and nutrition plan uh, within the book, but basically all training and nutrition plans work. What I'm really trying to tap into with Body by Design is what I've actually witnessed through over a half a million members on the social network site BodySpace. So you'll notice throughout the book, there's various profiles, dozens of profiles who've actually transformed their lives, whether they came from anorexia or whether they came from you know, other eating disorders or just were overweight or you know, they'd lost all hope. I was able to basically you know, find out exactly what their transformation triggers were for them to achieve their goals. And this is what I've illustrated throughout the book. So the four pillars of power that you spoke about earlier is really the basis around motivation and support. And this is where I'm really pushing. So the first pillar would be like the burn and build bridges. So taking that social inventory. So our social circles are powerful, good or bad, but you need to take a close look at the people that you're spending time with. Minimize the negative influences and expand on the positive ones. It doesn't have to be people. This could be the direction that you take to work, you know, avoiding the drive-through or the vending machine. And then you need to be, um, you know, transparent with those goals. Tell as many people as possible. If you keep these goals just to yourself, you can lapse. However, if you tell 50, 100, 1,000 people, the chances of you sticking to those goals are much more achievable. Is this what the social networking is all about, Chris? Is that, what, is that part of that, like telling people, uh, twittering people, tweeting, um, I'm oh, planning to lose weight and I'm going to lose 30? It doesn't even have to be on Twitter. So, for instance, you know, my, my, I know my father, he is not going to go online and, and do this sort of thing. So I've actually made it all compact within the book and provided the tracking tools for you to tell as many people as possible so you're accountable to these goals. So, for instance, if my father tells 10 people 
that he's not going to eat red meat anymore, the chances of them doing that and following through is much more likely because he's putting his sincerity online then as well. Because people are going to ask him about it. You can't bargain with yourself. Is that what you're saying? Like, if you don't tell anybody, you know, you can say, okay, I'm going to lose 10 pounds, but if you haven't told anybody about it, nobody knows, you don't have to do it. But you've got 10 people you have to be accountable to. Is that what you're saying? That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And providing that system of support because, you know, everybody can get through the good times and the easy times, but when the obstacles, you know, come, uh, you know, jump in front of us, then these are the hard times that we really need that system of support and accountability for other people to pick us up when we're down. So give us an example, one example in the book, because you have obviously lots of examples, and uh, of somebody who... Uh, you know, followed your plan, body by design, was able to do this, accomplishes, how much weight did they lose, and how long did it take them, and it, tell us a story. Well, it isn't always about losing weight, it can be putting on weight. So I'll give you an example um, by a guy, he goes on body space by the name of Furious Pete, that's his name, on there because he didn't want to publicly announce who he was. So Peter was suffering from anorexia, and he was in hospital, almost died, and he was too embarrassed to talk about people within his own social network at home or friends and family, stuff like that. So he actually you know, started looking on forums and then joining Body Space and interacting with other people who also suffered from anorexia. And then he found out exactly how they were able to rehab themselves and fix themselves and you know, give themselves more confidence. And he just was interacting with these people that much more. Then he was able to put on an extra 57 pounds. And now he looks in great shape. If you look at his before and after pictures in the book, you can see he, he looks outstanding. You know, he's got abs. He's in great shape. He's healthy. And now he is a competitive world champion eater. That's an extreme story, by the way. Yeah, but it's a great story because, I, and I made the mistake when I asked you the question. I think most people think about, you know, body by design. Uh, when you just hear the word weight, especially in our culture, it's like we think of losing weight. I mean, I know I do. It's like, and so you're talking about really body by design, losing, yeah, gaining, exactly. and using social networking and support to accomplish that. Yeah, everybody can have their own body by design and uh, by your own design, whether that is losing weight or adding weight. You know, it isn't always about restricting your meals, restricting your calories, taking things away. I like to add things, add more meals, but the right types of meals and, you know, the, the frequency and just adding more support, more confidence and uh, just providing that full system of support. So you talk about motivation, you talk about the positive going forward, it's none of this what you can't have or can't do. And I think when you take that away, it makes it a, a better challenge to either put on weight or lose weight. But it, to me, it always, when I want to lose five pounds, it's, when I'm not, it's deprivation, that's what comes to mind. In your book, it's motivation, not deprivation. That's right. It's definitely motivation. Well, what motivated you? Because I have this picture of you in a little bathing suit, one of those little tight speedo-type bathing suits with a big pot, and then the next picture, because we're on radio, nobody can see it, you know, you are not only Zavelle, you've got muscles, you look gorgeous. How long did it take you to go from that puffy guy to this Adonis-looking body? <laughs> Thank you. That was over 12 weeks. But keep in mind that I did not cheat during that time, and I wasn't overtraining. A lot of people go to the gym every single day, 
thinking more is better, and that definitely isn't the case. Within the Body by Design program, you go and work out three times a week, no longer than 60 minutes. However, I do ask that you do 20, at least 20 minutes, 20 to 30 minutes max of low-impact cardio every day just to boost that metabolism and increase that metabolism through the right foods as well. So you'll have the full nutrition program in there as well. But I was an athlete at one point. I, I raced motocross, but I suffered an injury. I suddenly found myself surrounded by different group of friends with different goals, and soon I'd become, as you can see in the picture, very fat. And my injury got worse, as did my asthma. All my cards were stacked against me, but that's when I started a change and become transparent with my goals. And I took my social inventory, you know, removed myself from the negative influences and tapped into that radical accountability. And I've been able to witness that time and time again with over a half a million members on Body Space and extract exactly what has worked and put it in Body by Design. So, Body by Design, I haven't seen anything like this. Are you? It seems to me this is a very unique kind of program. Um, um, I'm assuming that's so. Yes. Yes, it, it is unique. You know, being in the position of editor in chief of Bodybuilding dot com, I have over 600 writers underneath me, which is great. You know, providing all the information, but able to tap that in with a social network of support. That is the key to limitless goals, not just the fixed goals of 12 weeks, and that's when it stops. That 12 weeks is the beginning to, to you know, that, that limitless potential of transformation. So what was your biggest challenge? Who was, is there any individual or anyone that stands out, Chris, that you would say was the biggest challenge for you, or you and, and that eventually became a success? in terms of either putting it, on It wasn't weight. so much a person as it was a group of friends, which just led to partying and a lot of alcohol, I'd have to say. Yeah. It was just partying like you know, three or four times a week. As I said, I was an athlete, and then I just totally changed. You know, I got depressed, and I was drinking all the time, eating the wrong foods, obviously, and uh, it was just a combination of both of those things, with, along with depression. Well, eating and drinking and doing all those kinds of not good things for your body, does lead to depression. So if you follow your body by design, we're not just talking about building muscle mass and having a good body. We're also talking about a healthy mind. I mean, they go together. I mean, this whole program is a mind-body kind of experience in a positive way. Yeah, exactly. As you've yeah. heard, you know, healthy mind, healthy body, and vice versa. And, you know, there's so many things that you can take away from just living a healthier lifestyle. You feel more confident. You have more energy. You feel better around your work colleagues. You feel, you know, more attractive to your spouse. There's so many other things that you can take away other than more peak to your biceps, you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Better sex life with your partner. Yeah, exactly. So uh, we will, that's another show. But uh, so <laughs> I was going to let you carry on with yeah. that. <laughs> we can talk about that. We're on Internet radio. We can talk about whatever we want. Um, okay. So, yeah, there are no restrictions. Um, so what do we want to leave the audience with? Because we have a couple, few more minutes, and we are a big, fat society. I mean, I have to go. I, every, it seems like every show I'm talking about the statistics, you know, and I think you have that on your, uh, you know, sheet that I have, that uh, New Year's resolutions. People say they're going to lose weight. They don't lose weight. As a matter of fact, most people end up gaining weight after New Year's. So what, what can we do? 
Okay, well, like I said, apply the four pillars of power. And another thing that I've got in by design is something that I've called a flow chart. So that stands for fixed goals, limitless goals, opportunities, and weaknesses. So, for instance, that fixed goal could be to in, you know, add an inch to your bicep, for instance. Your limitless goal could be to continuously redefine the limits of your strength training and knowledge and enjoy every minute of it. The opportunities could be to make new connections with inspiring people every day. Weaknesses, that could be skip the bacon. So start with that flow chart, and you don't need equipment or food to do that. And once you've done those things, you're already beginning the Body by Design program. And remember that we're all in this together to move forward. Is there anybody that you think couldn't be helped by this program? I mean, is, uh, I, to me, it doesn't seem like there's anything negative about it. I mean, does one need to consult with a physician before you do this? Let's say if you're 60, 70, 80 pounds overweight. No, you wouldn't in that regard. However, if you're going to begin a training and nutrition pl- plan, I always recommend everybody go and just check with a physician. I like to go to, uh, to the doctors every six months just for a checkup, just to keep, you know, just to have a peace of mind, just to make sure that everything's in working order. So, you know, I've got that peace of mind that I can continue to push myself. You like to go just to show off to the doctor because you know you're in great shape. and you get. But you never know. You never know. It's always like a preventative measure as opposed to a cure. Yeah. It's been great talking to you, and it's, it is. It's a very unique book. You can go to, uh, we'll be talking to Chris Geffen. He's editor-in-chief of bodybuilding.com. That's bodybuilding.com. That's easy website to remember. And his new book is Body by Design. Thanks so much for being on the show this morning. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, great to have you. Um, coming up next, we don't want you to go away because we have two more guests on the show. Coming up next is Robert Seidel. He's an attorney. He's author of The Gateway. That's his new book. Um, and he is going to, well, he has discovered the way in which to create an outrageously prosperous and happy life. And he's written a book about it. He himself has been through divorce and bankruptcy and all this nasty stuff, but he's been able to overcome it. So, uh We're going to take a two-minute break, I guess. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone. You're listening to VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. We'll be back in a minute. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Do you need directions to solid financial future? If so, the Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with a roadmap to making smart money decisions in every area of your personal finances. Join Jordan every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 3 p.m. Eastern, for the Money Answers Show on the Voice America Business Channel. Learn how and where to get the best deals on mortgages, cars, and insurance. Find out the best ways to save for college and retirement. Get out of debt, improve your credit rating, and save on your taxes. The Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with great tips on investment opportunities in real estate, stocks, annuities, and other investment vehicles. That's the Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman on the Voice America Business Channel every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. The Mayan calendar tells us that we will be entering into a 260-day opportunity for us to engage in conscious co-creation with great spirit. How will we prepare ourselves for this exciting and unprecedented time in Earth's history? 
Peter Tong has dedicated over 20 years of his life's work to exploring that which is beyond understanding. Peter will help increase your awareness and education on this enlightening transformation in consciousness. Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation airs live Wednesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on 7th Wave Network. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. We're back. I'm Catherine Zox. I'm your social worker with a microphone. You're listening to World Talk Radio, VoiceAmericaVariety.com. And my next guest is an attorney. He's an author, and his name is Robert Seidel. He's author of The Gateway. Discover the Power to Create an Outrageously Prosperous and Happy Life. That's what the book is about. It's designed to restore hope, vision, and optimism for people, which we need now, I guess which we always need. It helps people recapture their youthful vitality and enthusiasm for life. Robert, is he's a talk show host himself in Las Vegas, uh, number one talk radio station in Las Vegas, and the name of his show is Dream Power. Been in, he's been an attorney for 30 years, and he's also, I guess, not always been so successful. We want to talk about this with Robert because he's overcome tremendous personal obstacles. Let's talk about some of those. Welcome to the show, Robert. Nice to have you on this morning. Well, it's a pleasure to be with you. It's, as always, an honor and a privilege. I just want to thank you for having oh. a chance to be with you. Great. It's a privilege to have you on the show and to first well tell us about the book and of course I'm it's it, the book I assume is the outcome of your own personal triumph over all the stuff that you encountered bankruptcy and divorce and all the stuff that many of us have to uh, deal with every day. One of the things I want to say about that in uh, yes uh, well first off yes the book is a result of my life journey and the different lessons I've learned during my life and you know, I have children, and I, I've often thought, well, if there's one thing I could give my children, what would it be? And it would be this book. So the nice thing is I've written this book, and, and it's an encapsulation of ideas and, and, and lessons I've learned about how I believe we could be vastly more successful in our lives. Now, the, yes, I, I talk about it in there, going through a bankruptcy and divorce and, and, and different tribulations in my own life. The one thing I want to say, though, is that I don't think mine are more, I wish I could tell you they were more than most people, but the truth is I think whether people are reveal it or not, many people go through phases of challenges in their lives. And so in that respect, I don't hold myself out as being unusual. However, I do believe that through the gifts of life, I've been able to, um, when I say gifts of life, gifts of God, the, the experiences that I've gone through have given me some tools to be vastly more successful. And that's why I wrote this book, to try to share those with people so that they could, you know, in a sense, skip some of the steps I went through and move to a much more happy, fulfilled expression of life. Okay, so how did you do that? Because you're right. I mean, every one of us probably, I don't think you can get to a certain point in life where you haven't gone, you've had some kind of a, a catastrophic, I, I even use the word catastrophic, but event happen. I mean, we all are, you know, whether it's, it has to do with money or children or sex or drug or alcohol or whatever it is, or divorce or bankruptcy. So you've gone through these things. You want this book was written to, um, as you say, guide your children, but also guide the rest of us. So what, what, what are we going to learn from it? What, what will, if we 
read the book, The Gateway, what's it going to teach us? Well, the book is very, very simply written. I actually review it every single day, believe it or not. In fact, I just open it in front of me, and I always look for a message. And here's the message I'm getting today. Transform your attitude about work. And that's. And then I proceed to tell a couple stories in here uh, about how we can approach work from two different perspectives, one which causes us to you know, feel burdened and, and upset by our work, and the other one, the same exact job could be a source of inspiration and, and, and joy. And so the whole book is filled with a lot of little examples and stories like that, and so I review it every single day. And, and I will say what I think makes my book unusual is that it was written, uh, I went away kind of as in a retreat when I wrote this book, and I got into what I consider to be a very high and joyous state of awareness, so that when a person reads my book, um, they frequently will find that they get an experience of peace and joy in their lives. And that's, that's actually the, the most probably distinctive part about this book. Uh, I have a friend that's a school principal, and she says, you know, Robert, your book is unusual, not so much for what it says, but when you read it, you get happy. And I think that's what uh, the real dream I had is, what if you could write a book that if people read it, it would lift them out of their dark states of mind and move them into uh, joyous states. So but explain that's, that's that, Robert, because you're book. saying, and this, actually, I guess the principal said it, your friend, it's not exactly the, the practical how-to about the book that kind of elevates you. It's something else. It's the, uh, explain that more, because that's very interesting. I mean, because you say that if you read the book, um, one of the things that you will be able to do is give up worry and stress forever. Now, to me, how does one do that? Well, Okay, well, let me say one thing to you. Okay. The book, uh, uh, I once heard somebody say it. It's like if you travel west, you never get to your destination. You're just always moving west. So my point is uh, the book is like the North Star. It's moving us in a direction. I, I, you know, there are sometimes in my life I've been absolutely, totally in synchrony and harmony with everything said in here, and sometimes I get off course. And l- let me explain. If you, ever, if you get on an airplane going to Hawaii, the plane is actually off course approximately 97% of the time. And the only reason why I could ever get that little tiny island out in the middle of the ocean is that it has, a, uh, it has an autopilot that keeps bringing it back on course. So my point is if somebody's listening right now, it doesn't matter. Does that mean since I wrote this book that I've never encountered stress or difficulty? Uh, no, it isn't. I mean, sometimes I have. But it, it's just like the plane getting back on course but I have to keep bringing myself back on course. So the point is, though, that that doesn't mean we give up, though, either. And there is an aspiration, a possibility of living in this life joyfully, magnificently, prosperously, abundantly, with health and contentment and joy and love and, and all the good things. And isn't that what we really want? Yeah, I think, yeah, I mean, I can speak for myself. Maybe I can speak for everybody. I, and also, I, you know, I have a lot of women who listen to my show and a lot of women uh, who have gone through divorces and that's often a topic that I uh, just that I uh, talk about on the show and since you've gone through I want to be specific because okay let's take the example you've overcome divorce and given what you just talked about you know staying on course even though we're always trying to veer off course how did you get through that using this you know the the, the gateway principles that you talk about in the book how did, how did you I get, get through my divorce yep well, 
divorce, I, I've also done about a thousand divorces in a, as an attorney, so I've both gone through it myself and done it a lot for people. Same with bankruptcy, by the way. I've done over a thousand bankruptcies for people. So the gift of my life is I've had a lot of, believe it or not, probably had more personal, hearing, heard more personal stories from people than almost anybody you'll ever meet. And so it's a wealth of information that I've had. Okay, the first thing to understand, over half the people that walk down the aisle get divorced. Um, I mean, I, I don't know if that's exactly right, but let's just assume it's about right. I think so that's the, pretty accurate. It, it, it's sort of, it's, it's tough to face. I mean, it's a bitter pill to swallow. I mean, that's uh, point number one. So if somebody's out there and you got divorced, understand that that's not unusual. The other thing I wish I could say, and I, I really don't want to say this, but I'm going to say it anyway, of the other half to stay married, probably half of those people aren't all unhappy. And I would say they're probably miserable. About half of those people are maybe miserable. So that means that three-quarters of the people who walk down the aisle, it's not a happy experience. And that's, it sounds, uh, yeah, we, we probably need to put on another segment to, to go into more depth on this, but, my, but that's still, okay, that's the truth, okay? The truth is what frees us. Remember that principle, the truth is what frees us. Does that mean you have to accept that your, your life or your marriage is going to be an unhappy experience? No. Um, the, the thing is, Whatever we go through in life has the potential to heal us and bring us to a higher place of awareness for every human being alive. So no matter what you encounter, whether it's financial adversity or marital problems, if you're willing to face it with humility, um, it has the potential to heal you. Well, you're able, well, were you able to do that when you went through your divorce? I mean, I know, as you said, you were a divorce attorney, lots of experiences with other people. But still, it's different when it happens to you. Um, well, <laughs> I would say something. Oh, man, I shouldn't interview me early in the morning like this. I think divorce is probably easier than marriage. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've been divorced. Maybe that's true. Are you married? Yeah, no, well, actually, I have a partner of 20, 22 years now, but we're not married. That works out very well. So I'm not going to go through that. Well, That's I, not... I'm, listen, I'm married, and I'm very gratefully married. And so I have been married over 25 years this year. But still, the, I, I think to myself, it's quite fascinating to me. Human communication is such a subtle puzzle. And my wife is probably my greatest supporter in so many different ways. And, and yet there's times when we communicate, I think, my God, how, I can't quite understand how did communication turn into something that could be so difficult at times. And so my point is, is that when you ask how about divorce, I think it's just, it, the real issue isn't marriage or divorce, the issue is human communication. And, and to be honest with you, it doesn't matter whether we're married or whether we're in a significant relationship or if we're just working and have an employment relationship, all relationships have the potential for the communication challenges and resolutions. So for me, it's all about humility and surrendering my life is how what I like to do to God every day and being grateful for my life. We human beings, let's face it, we don't have a real good history of communicating very well with each other. Well, I think men and women have difficulty communicating with each other. I think, I mean, I think sometimes it's easier to communicate. I think women are are and are better communicators, I think, as a rule, this is a huge generalization, uh, than men. And women seem to communicate amongst themselves. But when you get the opposite sex, men and women, trying to communicate with each other, I think that for whatever reasons, then there is a, exists some kind of a, a communication problem or that it's, it's not as easy between the 
sex between men and women. What do you think? Well, I think it can be easy or hard depending on whatever the sex is. And the reason why I say that is um, it has a lot to do with the nature of the relationship. It's sure, it's real. For example, I'm having a wonderful and effortless communication with you. But the truth is that I'm not married to you either. Right, and exactly. If I was married to you, it might be a whole different story. It would. If we were sharing the same bathroom and we were That's right. paying the same insurance bills. and uh, Exactly. It's a different so when you say you could, you could communicate better with other women, it's, it's probably because you're not married to them. I, and it sounds like a funny thing to say. But my point is that um, it depends the kind of relationships we have. It depends what's at stake in the relationship. The close, I have a real good friend who's a marriage counselor, just a wonderful person, and she always puts it, she goes, all relationships are power struggles. Um, and, and so it's how we resolve the power struggle that determines, you know, and, and when you don't have a power struggle, so you and I don't have any power struggle. So we can be copacetic and pleasant and everything's wonderful. But you, you take a whole society, it doesn't matter whether it's men, whether it's women, people, you, you put a whole group of women together to manage something, they potentially have the same potential issues uh, among one another as a whole group of men have among each other. So, in other words, if you're in a situation, uh, Robert, you say it's a power struggle. Like sitting on a committee, for instance, would be an example of that, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, trying to come to some kind of a, sure, a decision. Sure, that's a illustration. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So we're, we don't have a power struggle. We can just be open and honest, and and you know we're talking three thousand miles apart. That helps as well. Yeah. It, it, yes. And, and trust me, if I was sitting in the same room with you, it would probably be just as effortless. I have lots of wonderful friends, but I know the closer. Uh, I have some wonderful, wonderful, wonderful spiritual friends that I talk to every day almost. And, 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 and again, the beauty of it is, but the beauty is, is that you can have certain kinds of relationships that are very effortless. By the way, this is a real issue for marriage. And for those people listening, a little t- tip to help you avoid marital problems. The reason why a lot of marriages break up is because you have another friend who does become this phone friend, they call him a phone friend, who is a perfect mirror to you. And, oh, my God, you have this fantastic relationship. Well, that, then suddenly you fall in love with that person, and suddenly your marriage is over. That's a real common story. The problem, or it could be Facebook. The problem is it's an illusion mostly because it's that perfect friend because you're not, you're not, don't share the bathroom. You don't share the pool of money. You've got to decide what you're going to spend. You don't have to share all those little issues. This is, and we have to end on that. It's, uh, we could, you know, there's, well, there's so much to, I just wanted to, you know, there's so much to cover in your book, so I want to make sure that the listeners can know where to go buy your book, obviously bookstores everywhere, and the title of the book, I have to repeat again, The Gateway, Discover the Power to Create an Outrageously Prosperous and Happy Life, Robert Seidel. Also, Robert, um, what uh, website can we go to for more information? For right now, just have them look up thegatewaybook.com, thegatewaybook.com. Great. It's been great talking to you this morning, and easy. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure you're a very kind soul, and thank you so much. If you ever want me to be on again, we can go into this more deeply. Yeah, we've got lots more to talk about. Thanks so much. I wish you the best. Yeah, we'll be back in a minute. I'm Catherine Zox. I'm your social worker with a microphone. Uh, you're listening to World Talk Radio and VoiceAmericaVariety.com. Uh, my next guest is Linda Gray Sexton, and her new book is Half in Love, Surviving the Legacy of Suicide. We'll be back in a minute. 
Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. If you want to get ahead, you have to stand out from the crowd, the clutter, and the competition. Are you? Tune in each week for Standing Out with Lauren Saunier. Lauren and her guests have the secrets that can help you and your business get noticed, get attention, and achieve your desired results no matter where you're starting from. Standing Out with Lauren Saunier, live every Friday at 12 noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Get ready to be a marketing machine. Go behind the scenes of what you see, hear, and read on the news. Learn the ins and outs of public relations on Stars of PR with Cindy R. Every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time. Cindy Rakowitz is a Clio Award winner and founder of Rock and Roll Public Relations who wants to share her PR experiences and knowledge with you. Learn how to handle a crisis, deal with celebrities, and become a terrific PR executive. Listen to the Stars of PR with Cindy R. every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time here on News Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone, and you are listening to VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. My next guest is Linda Gray Sexton. She is the author of Half in Love, Surviving the Legacy of Suicide, She's the daughter of Pulitzer Prize-winning poet Anne Sexton. Uh, she's written four novels, and her first memoir, Searching for Mercy, Mercy Street, was published uh, to widespread acclaim. Uh, Linda lives in California, and you can visit her website at lindagraysexton.com. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on, Linda. Thanks for having me on. Well, surviving the, just the title of your book, you know, I mean, Half in Love, Surviving the Legacy of Suicide, uh, suicide is a taboo, it's still, even when we talk about mental illness, is still a taboo subject. We don't want to talk about suicide, I think either individually, communities, as a nation. Um, so uh, this is uh, quite a story that you've written. And um, uh, talk to us about, uh, well, talk to us about the response you've gotten from the book. Oh, the response has been fantastic. Um... I had an excerpt run in Salon Magazine online over the weekend, and already I've had 36 posts back, excuse me, back, uh, different comments from people who all get the point of the book, who have stories of their own, who want to talk about suicide in general and their own uh, family um, where perhaps people have tried to commit suicide or themselves who have tried to commit suicide, or even um, their own experiences with mental illness. So I'm getting fantastic feedback. Well, it's a memoir that needs to be written. And, you know, you um, tell us why you felt it needed to be written. I know your mother attempted suicide um, many times and then finally, uh, finally was able to, did 
commit suicide when you were in college, I believe, right? Yes, when I was 21 and a senior in college. Um, I think, you know, my own experience with my mother, uh, who tried so many times to kill herself before she finally did, which is a terrible way to put it. She really succeeded in suicide. Um, You know, it was handed down to me like a legacy. Uh, Her own family handed it down to her. There were several people in her family who committed suicide, and I believe that it is something which can be handed down through the generations in a family, um, both biologically, because it's recognized that way now, and also environmentally, of course, because, you know, we hand so many things down through childhood and example, et cetera. Let's talk about, I mean, because you talk about, yes, the two factors, whether it can be inherited or just you live in an environment where you have a parent or a close relative who attempts suicide. So um, in your case, uh, what was it like growing up with a mother, and uh, albeit a famous mother, I mean, a Pulitzer Prize-winning poet um, who is in a, a constant state of really wanting to, to, to kill herself? I mean, you describe in the book you had a very close relationship with your mother, maybe too close, maybe symbiotic to some extent, and um, somehow, which wasn't good for you. Uh, so let's talk about the environment that you grew up in and, you know, how that affected you. And it must have been frightening for you to, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but, um, you know, as you approach the age of your mother thinking, is the same, am I going to do the same thing? Well, Half in Love really describes what it's like to grow up under the influence of somebody who is repeatedly trying to kill herself. It's a pretty intense experience. Um, it's something I wish I hadn't endured. You know, I adored my mother. At the same time, I hated what she was trying to do to herself. And our family had very little information about suicide. At that time, nobody spoke about it. Um, It was a taboo subject. It still is a taboo subject, but perhaps less so. I mean, here we are talking about half and love on the air. So, um, you know, obviously it's become more accessible to people. But in any case, we had very, very little information. And the doctors would just say to us, don't be angry with her. And, of course, we were angry because we didn't understand what she was going through at all. So Half and Love describes that and then goes on to talk about my own family's response to my attempts at suicide um, and my depression and how they didn't really understand either. So the point of the book is to bring to other people insight and knowledge about suicide and what the person who is so depressed that they can't see any other way out what that person is going through. I think it's very, I think you hit on, I mean, I want to talk about this because I know in my experiences, both clinically with clients but also with friends and relatives who have been in this situation, that whole feeling of like, especially you as a child, of feeling when you have a parent who's attempted suicide, of really feeling rejected by that parent or like the parent not wanting, taking it, Personally, I mean, as you said, the doctor said, don't be angry with her. But how do you not be angry with a parent? I mean, that's very, you know, unless you are in 
therapy yourself, um, you know, if that's possible when you're younger. But um, that whole feeling of rejection, you know, if my mother is attempting suicide, she doesn't want to be with me. It's very hard for families to not take it personally. Um, when I grew up, we certainly all felt rejected by her, and that does make you feel angry. Um, it's hard to be rejected by your parent. And I think in my own therapy, what I had to come to grips with eventually when I found myself at the same stage in my life where my mother had actually killed herself, um, I had to work in therapy to really confront the rejection and confront the fact that my mother had left me which was very, very difficult to deal with and took me many years in therapy. I, initially, I worked very hard. At the time I wrote Searching for Mercy Street, I was working harder on coming to grips with forgiving her as a parent for um, the way she had been a parent and the ways in which she had failed, largely because I was a parent and I understood suddenly much better uh, what she went through trying to raise us. And then I got to a point where I had to come to grips with the fact that she had really rejected me and left me, um, and I had a lot of anger about that, and I had to deal with that. It was like the second part of the process. Now, there, you have a sister. Um, I do. Yeah, and it's, I, I, I can't remember whether she's older or younger, but you're pretty She's close. younger. She's younger, but you're fairly close in age. So here you have two siblings, and, and their mother, your mother commits suicide. Did you two have different reactions to the same event? Um, or did I you think handle initially? We had closer reactions at, at the time. I think we both were stunned. We both were angry. There was some amount of relief that the horrible trial of living with a parent who's continually trying to commit suicide that that trial was over. And so we both felt those things initially, but shortly after that, she became very withdrawn with her grief and felt that it was private, which is, you know, one very natural response. At the same time, I was wanting to explore it more to understand it better. Um, I began working on a book of my mother's letters, which told the story of her life, uh, was called Anne Sexton, A Self-Portrait in Letters. And I was trying to confront the specter, whereas she was trying to work it out in her own way. So the communication between us really ceased. And then when I wrote Half in Love, um, we were again somewhat opposed from each other insofar as she was still angry. She hadn't resolved the... Um, feelings of anger and rejection, and I had. And so she still thought of suicide as something you could control that um, was really your fault, um, whereas I had, by experiencing the urge to commit suicide, I had really moved beyond that place. And so we disagreed about it, and we continue to disagree about it. Because I think sometimes the expectation can be, and maybe it's unrealistic as I'm listening to you, um, you know, siblings think, uh, well, in your case, two sisters, you could support each other, you have each other, but that's not necessarily true. And I think that 
Um, I mean, you've, you've explained that well. So um, it's not always that, yes, you have support from your brothers or sisters. Um, and it sounds like you still, both of you are trying to work this out. You're working it out in very different ways, um, yeah. which is difficult. I mean, did you get support from anyone else? At the time my mother died? Yeah. Um, well... <laughs> <laughs> I can't I can't honestly say that there was a lot of support. There were a few of mother's friends who understood better how I felt. Um older, perhaps wiser people. But within the family it was really something we didn't talk about. And of course that's not as you say that today that's not that doesn't happen because I mean we're talking about it on the air and you've written a book and there's just there's been a lot of progress. Um but the feelings are the same, the feelings of rejection. Right. I have another question. Did, um, you mentioned after when your mother finally did commit suicide, and I don't like to say accomplished either. I don't know. I can't think of another word. But, I know. Um, did you feel guilty um, because you felt relieved? I mean, was there, I mean, did you have to wrestle with that? Because, you know, she had put you through all of this. I mean, all these attempted suicides. And then this feeling, as you said, of relief. Was there also a feeling of guilt that you felt relief? Yes, there was a big feeling of guilt that I felt relief. Um, you know, at the same time that I felt not justified, that's not the right word, but I felt comfortable with the idea that, I felt relieved because it made sense that I would feel relieved. On the other hand, it's inevitable that you feel guilty about that. And I talk about that a lot in Half and Love, and I also said to my children who, after I tried to commit suicide, who didn't have a good grasp and who, who felt rejected and guilty I ta- and angry, I talked to them a lot about how I had felt the same things regarding my mother, that I now felt guilty for having put them through the initial stages of what my mother put me through. Um, so those those were conversations I brought to my children as well. Yeah. And I want to talk, you know, we, we're going to take a short break, but in, in the next, uh, in the next when we come back, I do want to talk about now, yes, you as a mother, your attempted suicide and your relationship with your own children, because you don't want to continue, obviously, this legacy. Um, we're talking to Linda Gray Sexton. She's author of Half in Love, Surviving the Legacy of Suicide. Don't go away. I'm Catherine Zock, your social worker with the microphone on World Talk Radio, VoiceAmericaVariety.com. We'll be back in a minute. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. Yeah! If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at one 866 472-5787 1-866-472-5787 Emotional intelligence has been documented to be the most important skill for a leader to move up in an organization. Leaders Playbook will unpack what emotional intelligence is, why it is important, and how you can raise your emotional intelligence for yourself, your direct reports, and your team. Join Dr. Relly Nadler every Monday morning at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern, to the Leader's Playbook on the Voice America Business Channel. Your success, your success could depend on it. 
Women in business today face many challenges in advancing their careers and reaching their goals. There are corporate executives, entrepreneurs, and business owners that have made their mark in business. Now you can learn their secrets and tips. Listen to Women Mean Business as your host, Bonnie Marcus, explores how to thrive in the business environment, navigate the workplace, and climb the corporate ladder. Listen live every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel and effectively promote yourself today. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. We're back. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone. You're listening to World Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com. And my guest is Linda Gray Sexton. She's author of Half in Love. This is her new book, Half in Love, Surviving the Legacy of Suicide. If you're just joining us, she's the daughter of Pulitzer Prize-winning poet Anne Sexton, and her new book is an honest emotional journey. It's a memoir looking into her world of depression, suicide, and triumph. Uh, and Linda, we were talking about, well, we've talked about your, your mother and her suicide and your reaction and your sister's reaction to it. But now, you're a mom, you have two boys, um, and you were carrying on the legacy of these, of this, this, this suicide, whether from environmental factors or you inherited it. But so, this is kind of the, you know, the second phase of your life. Um, what happened? How did you handle it? Well, you're right that it was the second phase of my life. Uh, you know, I had always said that I would never, ever follow in her footsteps in this way, and then I became so overwhelmingly depressed that I felt I would never be able to recover from the depression, and there was only one way out. Um, I think that, you know... Um, I dealt with this by entering therapy and um, getting onto the right meds, um, and it became a, a you know really a lifelong struggle. Even today, um, I have to guard against the depression and make sure that I don't re-enter that kind of phase where I think about suicide. And right now, I'm very successful at it. Uh, I have put to rest a lot of the demons, and uh, I feel good about my life. I'm having a um, kind of renaissance of health and success in in the emotional part of my life. So uh, I'm feeling really good about where I am now. Do you feel, Linda, that you have to be in therapy, be on medication as a lifelong um, the process. I mean, that you I mean. Can you or, or are you? Do you are you always? Do you always? Are you always in therapy? Are you always taking meds? I definitely always take meds, and I imagine that I will take meds for the rest of my life. Um, I have bipolar disorder, and that's something that is a chemical imbalance in your brain. So it's kind of like, uh, for instance, diabetes, where you have to take insulin all the time. If I don't take my medications, I believe I will sink again. And the therapy um, is very, very helpful to me in terms of guarding against the depression and um, 
learning to live again in a world where there are a lot of stressors and, uh, you know, your history comes down on you, as, as Half and Love talks about. It's a legacy. I think it's a two-pronged legacy. As you said, the environmental aspect, the heritable aspect, and right now the medical community considers suicide and uh, bipolar disorder to be partially heritable. So well, it's something you, I really I have, have to work I have another question that, that I know that um, friends of, of mine who suffer from bipolar disorder and or depression, um, there are side effects to these medications, obviously, and sometimes, and particularly with younger people, they tend not to want to stay on the medication, and, and they go off the medications. It's difficult to keep them on because, you know, sometimes we think, well, all right, you just take a pill and you'll be fine, so why wouldn't you continue to take your antidepressants or whatever the meds you need to take? But that's not quite true. It's, it's a, um, there are a lot of side effects, and um, even in younger, uh, younger people, it affects their, can affect their sexuality, their drive, impotency, all those things. So there's a lot to do. It's not so simple, I guess, as just taking taking your meds, and, and you won't be depressed or you won't suffer from bipolar. No, you're absolutely right. A lot of people can't deal with the side effects and believe that if they go off their meds, they'll be okay. It's very hard to accept the idea that you're going to have to take meds for the rest of your life or even for a long period of time. Maybe you don't think of it as taking, as I do, uh, about taking it for the rest of your life, but... Um, people with affective disease like depression or bipolar disorder very often don't want to take their meds and experience relapses. Um, particularly, I think this is true from people who have been institutionalized and then by the system get dumped out onto the street and they, you know, they find it difficult to take meds. There are financial issues with meds. And there's just a psychological stigma about taking a lot of medication. That, coupled with the side effects, very often lead people. I mean, my mother was always going off her meds. She didn't want to. Uh, she didn't want to take anything. Oops, my dog is barking in the back. <laughs> we hear him in the back. Let her out. She didn't want to take anything. So uh, we really found that. If she didn't adhere to her meds, we had a problem. I have always adhered to my meds because I don't want to, you know, experience any kind of a relapse. Let's talk about the reaction of your children because you did attempt suicide with your two little boys in the next room. And um, what, I mean, obviously it sounds like you're very outspoken with them, very open, truthful. Um, and I would assume you would have that recommendation for other people. I mean, part of writing this memoir is, you know, obviously for yourself and, and, and family, but to, it also has the impact of helping other people cope with, with um, the issues that you've had to cope with, suicide, mental illness, depression. Um, so how do you relate to your boys? How, you know, what, how do you communicate to them? You don't want the, I mean, I, I assume that you don't want the cycle to continue with the boys. No, I, you know, one of the greatest fears I face is that the legacy will be passed down. Um, and so I try to educate my children in the ways in which it can be passed down and the difficulties they may experience in their lifetime with these issues. 
So we're very open about it, and I began educating them when they were teenagers because that's when my first suicide attempts occurred. Um, It's one of my greatest regrets that my initial suicide attempt uh, occurred when my children were in the house, and I swore that that would never happen again, and I never allowed it to happen again, even though I did try to kill myself several times again. Um, sometimes in life you do something that you just never forgive yourself for, and unfortunately that's one of the things I'll never forgive myself for. Although my children seem to have forgiven me, um, and that's been a hard thing for them. But I think because we have so much more information now, they see it as a sickness, an illness, rather than as a deliberate act against them. So I don't think they felt rejected in the same way. And I I think their anger was diminished by the fact that I was able to talk about it. As you say, there's just a lot more information. Uh, We only have a couple minutes left, so uh, we want to make sure we get that information out there. And you do have a website that listeners can visit, which is lindagraysexton.com, which will give us more information about the book and more information about you. Um, What do we want to leave our listeners with? If if you have a a couple sentences, you know, some uh, enlightening sentences that we can leave them with after. I would say to those who experience these feelings and these difficulties that there are alternatives, there are solutions, and uh, keep, Keep plugging. Stay out there. Keep talking to your family and your loved ones. Don't let misinformation get in your way. Just keep trying. Yeah. And don't isolate yourself. I think. Right. That, I mean, to me, that's what I think one of the huge issues with this. People tend to you get fearful, you get afraid, and, and you isolate yourself when really you should be doing, as you say, just the opposite. Connect with people. And if you, you know, have any of these kinds of feelings, or you you're concerned and, you know, it's okay to go to a counselor, it's okay to talk to someone that you trust or a friend or even go to websites to get information. This is true. Yep. And, for, and for parents and families, don't allow yourself to stay misinformed. Try to understand in a new way what people who are going through depression and suicidal feelings uh, actually experience so that they are not left alone. Linda Gray Sexton, it was great talking to you today. Uh, you gave us a lot of really solid information. Uh, the title of Linda's book is Half in Love, Surviving the Legacy of Suicide. Thanks so much for being on the show. We really appreciate it. It was an honor. Have a great day. Thank you. I'm Catherine Zox. I'm your social worker with the microphone, and you've been listening to VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. I uh, hope you have a good morning, and uh, we'll see you next Wednesday. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode of The Catherine Zox Show. You can listen live every Thursday morning at 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America channel. Want to know more about Catherine? Visit her website at www.catherinezox.com. Be sure to join us next week for more interviews and great conversations with Catherine Zox. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. 
For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaVariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 